Welcome to the Urban Shepherds Podcast. We are a community of urban Christian pastors and leaders serving together to advance God's kingdom. This podcast is for men and women interested in being encouraged by lectionary teachings, inspirational stories, and a fellowship of urban believers. The Urban Shepherds Podcast Hour will include four brief scripture insights on each assigned weekly lectionary Bible text to help you understand God's Word, or if you're teaching on the text, it can help you prepare for the week's sermon. These studies are provided by Christian leaders from around the country. We'll also include some amazing testimonies, great ministry highlights, and interviews with people advancing God's kingdom in the city. Listen every week as we grow together as a movement of God's people. Let's get ready as we study the text for the second Sunday after Epiphany. Great topic, Behold the Lamb of God. Our text this week, Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7, Psalms 40, verses 1 through 11, John chapter 1, verses 29 through 42, and 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. So if you're going to follow along with the text, go ahead and grab those scriptures ready. We've got great contributors this week. We're going to start off with Pastor Kevin Jaguer and then go to a returning contributor, Andy Ince. Fantastic wisdom from him. And uh, then one of my favorite young people, great woman of God, Sydney Estrada. And then all the way out to California with Pastor Bernard Emerson. So get ready. Get your heart ready. It's such a privilege. I really do appreciate the time that you give to invest not only into the Word of God and to these urban shepherds and just listening to the voices of God's people working in the city. Let's begin with prayer. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your Word and the sacraments, may shine with radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known and worshiped and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns as one God now and forever. Amen. All right, let's get ready with Pastor Kevin. He's going to give us a great study of Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. Good morning, everybody. My name is Pastor Kevin Jaguer, and I am the pastor of Christ the Victor in Hutchinson. Today, I'm going to be sharing you, uh, sharing with you some of my thoughts on Epiphany Week 2, the manifestation of Christ. And our lectionary topic is Behold the Lamb of God. And I'm going to be talking to you uh, about Isaiah 49, 1-7. And really what I want to share with you is I want you to look at this threefold. When I talk about this passage, I want you to think about the ministry of Isaiah, the ministry of Jesus, and then our own ministry. So the lecturing topic again is Behold the Lamb of God, and blessed are we when we become a witness for the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, guys, um, God called Isaiah, God gifted Isaiah, and yet Isaiah is discouraged by the ministry. 
just a little bit of an overview on the author and the theme of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah has been called the evangelical prophet because of his prophecies of the coming ministry and preaching, sufferings, and death of the Messiah. Isaiah ministered in the southern kingdom Judah before, during, and after the fall of the northern kingdom. Isaiah seems to have two objectives in his book. Number one is to urge his countrymen to turn back to God or face judgment for their sinful and idol-worshiping ways. Also, number two was to comfort and encourage the people after they had ignored the warnings. Isaiah always was pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ, who would bring salvation and glory. Well, guys, our first question is, uh, what is God saying to the people in the text's original situation? So let's dig it out a little bit and get a little bit of context. Isaiah 49 is the second of four songs called the Servant Songs. The theme of Jesus coming as a servant. We see his calling, his mission, his faithfulness, and his protection. Now, Isaiah has witnessed the Assyrian captivity of Israel. Isaiah's words are directed to the people who have been scattered and traumatized, not only by their captivity, but also by the destruction of their homes and holy places, and from being forcibly removed in chains and marched out to Babylon. I, Israel has lost their identity. Isaiah had preached repentance and observed the moral decline of Judah and Jerusalem. But see, despite Isaiah's warnings, he could see the death, destruction, and exile of Judah and Jerusalem. See, the suffering Jews needed rescuing from their captors. They needed a savior that was greater than Cyrus. Isaiah is trying to show the Israelites that they and future generations and yes, later the Gentiles would all need a greater spiritual liberation. God would send his son, Jesus Christ, as rescuer, savior, and king for his people. Let's go verse by verse and take a look at this passage. Isaiah 49.1 Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. Isaiah's description of the servant of the Lord find its fulfillment in Jesus. See, the islands are the nations of the world, right? Even in the Old Testament, we could really see uh, the outpouring of the gospel, right? God planned our salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And here is the good news. We get to participate that in that. We are, we are to be the messengers of the gospel, right? We look at Isaiah and Jeremiah. They, they were the, the forerunners. They were announcing the way long before John the Baptist, and yet we get to participate in that ministry today. Verse 2, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. See, the servant of God is the mouthpiece of God. Like a sharpened sword, a polished arrow, he is to proclaim God's truth. Um, I love this quote by Robert Murray McShion. It says, all 
of God's servants should be like prepared weapons. It's not great talent God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. See, guys, a holy servant is an awful weapon in the hand of God. Amen on that. Verse 3. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. See, the main point here is Israel failed to represent God and did not become an evangelist to the nations. But they became entangled in sin and idol worshiping. Jesus will ultimately fulfill his father's plan to bring glory to him. And I I stop and I ponder how many of us, right, do I humbly say that we fail to represent God because at times we become entangled in this sin and idol worshiping and And our idols look different today, don't they? We have sports and we have Facebook, but they're the same idols that entangled as they did in Israel's day. Look at verse, uh, let's go to um, verse four. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. See, guys, God knew from the beginning that the people of Israel would reject the Messiah. John 1, 10, 11 says he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The Messiah, the Lord, Jesus Christ was hated, rejected, and despised. Don't be surprised if the world does not roll out a red carpet to your church and to you. The same people that we are trying to save with the gospel of Jesus Christ may hate us, reject us, and despise us. That is what Isaiah went through, and that is what Jesus went through. Verse 5, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from my womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. See, the servant is certainly both Israel and the Messiah. See, Israel fell far short of the high qualifications of the servant. Isaiah's servant is the Israel that should have been, and the Israel that would be. See, the servant is also without a doubt the Messiah, the faithful coming one, the savior of the lost Israel, of of lost Israel in the world. And guys, a servant today is us. We continue the message of Jesus Christ today. Look at verse six. He said, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. In association with Jesus, we are that faithful people. We are the servant of the Lord today. As the body of Christ, the church, we take on that status. The responsibilities and the blessings accorded to the faithful servant of the Lord. We, the church, the body of Christ, the gathered ones with Jesus are the Lord's servants. And finally, verse seven, thus says the Lord, the redeemer of Israel and his holy one 
to one deeply despised, aboard by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Verse 7, although we might be oppressed and rejected by the powers of this age, the time will soon come when we will rule with Christ over the powers of the universe. See, guys, every knee will bend and every mouth will confess that Jesus is Lord and King. What principle does the text teach us? Here's our second question. That is true for all people everywhere. I just want to focus on one regarding this, in which is we will be discouraged at times. But we must never give up on the mission of the gospel. Sometimes we are just the discouraged servant. It seems that our ministries are in vain, bears no fruit. Our people go back into addiction and some stop following completely Jesus completely. We all are discouraged at times, but our reward is not with men or with this world, but with God. And amen to that. Guys, let us not forget who we are laboring for and the ministry of reconciliation that we are participating in. You know, my my favorite prophet is the weeping prophet, Jeremiah. He, he preached approximately for 45 years and had never a recorded convert. <laughs> it doesn't look like a whole lot of fruit. It doesn't look like that's really worth it. See, Isaiah and Jeremiah's message were rejected. But guess what? So was the message of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He came stating, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And how many people did not believe in him? How many people ushered him out of their city or their town? Here is the last question we have. What is the Holy Spirit asking us to do with these principles here today in our life and in our ministry? Well, guys, Jesus, I want you to think of Jesus's view from the cross. It included those who were there who hated and despised him. Those who called out, we want Barabbas before his crucifixion. The view also did not include certain people, like most of his disciples, who ran away from the garden. Jesus felt discouragement, but he never gave into it. He trusted God's plan, his prevailing plan, and his sovereign promise. God is calling us as church planters, as pastors, as people who do the ministry of the gospel to have that same kind of trust. We will be hated, we will be rejected, and we will be despised as followers of Christ. But as Lord's servants, may we have hope in Christ. He that is who is for us is way more powerful than, that, than them who are against us, guys. See, the Great Commission mandate is a victory statement that flows from the lips of Christ, who had just overcome the world of sin and death, through the sacrificial, his sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection. It also declares Christ having all authority over heaven and earth. That's all authority. All authority over heaven and earth. Guys, 
the authority has been given to us, the church, and no other authority can challenge Christ the King's authority. May that encourage us as servants of the gospel. So I wanted you to look at Isaiah, Jesus, and our own ministry. We look 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah suffered in his ministry. He looked forward to the ministry of Jesus and proclaimed his coming, and yet Jesus suffered in his ministry. I want you to know you're going to suffer in your ministry for the Lord. People will leave you, they will forsake you, but Jesus Christ will never forsake you. God's sovereign plan and his prevailing plan will come through. And we have the best guide and friend and comforter in the whole wide world, the Holy Spirit. See, God has already planned victory. The motto of our church is we live the victory of Christ together. So as we prepare to worship in Epiphany Week 2, behold the Lamb of God, know that out of what flows from what he did on the cross and and what Jesus did through the resurrection gives us victory in our ministry today. May we live the victory of Jesus. May we seek to advance his kingdom in the city. And may may we stand on the ancient Christian faith. Thank you, Pastor Kevin, for great insight. Just a reminder of what we stand for, what we live for, and such great passion. I can't wait to hear more from Pastor Kevin uh, and the uh, church in Hutch, CTV Hutch. You know, they actually just have uh, purchased a new building, going to be moving in soon. I can't wait to go to that first service in the new building. What a great uh, kingdom advancing church, really Really look forward to hearing more about them and just about the work that they're doing. All right, well, let's get ready for Andy Entz, a returning contributor, listening to him give us insight into Psalms chapter 40, or Psalms 40, verses 1 through 11. Well, greetings on this second Sunday after Epiphany. The psalm reading is Psalm 40, verses 1 through 11. It's a beautiful psalm that affirms the goodness of God in his steadfast love and faithfulness. And I'm just going to read verses 1 through 11 of Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. 
As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Well, what a beautiful psalm written by David. Uh, psalm 40 is uh, divided into two general segments. Verses 1 through 10 has more of a Thanksgiving theme, and verse verses 11 through 17 is more of a personal lament. And so we'll focus largely on verses 1 through 10. We don't know the specific context of this psalm, but we do get an amazing picture here of true faith, a faith that holds up even in the bleakest and darkest of times. And we also get a picture of God's amazing love and faithfulness to his children. In verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 40, David testifies to how he waited patiently for the Lord. And that through David's waiting and dependence upon the Lord, God answered his plea for help. God heard David's prayer and rescued him from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. Well, that doesn't sound good. Uh, The pit is often a metaphor for death. And in this case, it represents a pit that David could not pull himself out of by his own strength. A pit in which he found himself sinking actually deeper and deeper. You know, when I think of a miry bog, I remember my days on the farm uh, when I was a kid when we had to trudge through knee-deep mud. It would stick to you, and it was extremely hard to take even one step at a time without sinking deeper and deeper. It was kind of a miserable experience. Now, we don't know the specific nature of this pit or miry bog that David was talking about, but we know it was something that caused inner tension and turmoil for his soul. It it could have been physical sickness or oppression of an enemy, but whatever it was, it was something that was significant and grieved his spirit. But even in the depths of trouble, David... David has a humble and firm dependence and trust on the Lord. It's almost like he has an inner guidance system that anchors him to the Lord. He expects God to even, he expects God to intervene even in his weakened state, that God would give him relief. Well, how many times do we find ourselves in a state of despair? I know I've been there more than once. My prayer is that we would find confidence that just as God saw David in his misery, God sees us as well. Just as God heard David's cry for deliverance, God also hears our cry. But God did not only rescue David from this miry pit, but he also set David's feet upon a rock and established his steps, as stated in verse 2 when he says, out of the miry clay onto solid rock. Well, Christ is our solid rock upon which we stand, his truth, his righteousness, not ours, in which we find deliverance and salvation. And as a result, our steps are secure. They're firm so that our feet do not slip. As a result of God's rescue in verse 3, David has a new song. 
in his mouth, a song of praise to God. This new song marks a new beginning, a fresh start, if you will. The song is new in David because the work of God in him is new. Fresh and new mercies call for new songs. And praise God for new beginnings. I think we can all relate to that. Well, what about the kind of song uh, was David singing? Well, David's song is a song of praise to our God, a song of gratitude and thanks for God delivering him from the pit of despair. Verses 4 through 10 address the outcome of the deliverance in the new song. The psalmist declares in verse 4 that those who trust in God will be happy and blessed. The Hebrew root word for blessed implies a state of the soul, a, a gift only God can bestow, something steady, not a fleeting emotion or anything that can be ruined by circumstance. And this implies a complete trust and dependence upon God, a humble disposition. In verse 5, David focuses on the wonderful deeds of the Lord, which no one can compare. There are too many to mention, as, it, as David says, and what an amazing truth that is. In verses 6 through 8, David contrasts true worship with false worship. In verse 6, David writes that in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. You see, God desires not only right action, but a right heart attitude. And we know from Hebrews chapter 10 that sacrifices of bulls and goats are not adequate to obtain eternal salvation for us. So verses 6 through 8 actually become prophetic. For it is Christ who is written in the scroll of the book. He who himself offers himself for sin and once for all Christ simultaneously fulfills and abolishes the Old Testament sacrificial system. Therefore, verse 7, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaks of Christ and pours ultimate meaning into verses 6 through 8. I actually like what the communicator's commentary wrote on these verses. God does not God does desire sacrifice, but it must be sacrifice from the heart. Christ delighted to do the Father's will and who had his law perfectly written on his heart. Therefore, our worship is fulfilled in Christ who writes God's law upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Well, verses 9 through 10 emphasize the importance of sharing the good news of salvation and deliverance with everyone. David told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. We are not to keep the good news of the gospel to ourselves. We are to share it freely. In verse 11, David concludes with an affirmation that God's great mercy and steadfast love and faithfulness will preserve him forever. Again, a great promise uh, from God. Well, what does all of this mean for us as God's people? David's dependence upon the Lord in the midst of tribulation is a great example for us today. We all go through times of trial and difficult times. It is through these rough waters of the sea that will test what we are made of and who truly commands the ship. Will our faith hold up in moments of difficulty? Will we be like David and keep our eyes patiently waiting on God's promises? Or will we turn to the world for quick solutions and compromises? 
When my wife was diagnosed with cancer two and a half years ago, it rocked my world to say the least. I felt like I was in a pit, a pit of many questions and few answers. What got me through those dark days was a firm faith in God's goodness and whatever the outcome. Some days that faith was pushed to the brink, but God's steadfast love pushed back all the more. What God wants more than anything else is to put our full trust in Him, regardless of the circumstances around us. This is what stretches our faith. In times of despair, grief, or difficulty, the road becomes difficult to walk, if not seemingly impassable. But this is where God's great mercy and grace prevail. This is when, like David, we cry out to the Lord, and in the process of crying out to God, He sets our feet firmly upon a rock and establishes our steps. So in this season of Epiphany, may we recount the ways in which we have been delivered by God and proclaim His goodness and faithfulness to the world. May we not hold back in giving witness to God's great mercy and love. May we proclaim boldly to a broken world that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And may we, like David, tell of the glad news of deliverance and God's steadfast love and faithfulness in the great congregation. To God be the glory. Amen. I hope you are encouraged with this psalm as much as I am. God bless. Thank you so much, Andy, for that insight into the Psalms. I really appreciate not only his friendship, but also just the time that he spends in the Word of God. I hope that we can all benefit from the blessing that Andy brings to the body of Christ. All right, let's get ready for, again, one of my favorite uh, young people in the world, uh, my daughter, Sydney Estrada. And I just want to say also that we really have to encourage the young people in our movement and in the body of Christ. We've got to hear uh, not only from young people, but young women and, and women of color. I'm so proud that as a part of the CTV movement, not only do we believe in the young people and the and the women in our movement, but we want to affirm those callings and and it just get behind uh, the things that they're doing to advance the kingdom of God. So let's prepare ourselves to hear on the first uh, Corinthians chapter one, verses one through nine, provided by Sydney Estrada. Hey there, listeners. This is Sydney Estrada, and I got the um, New Testament verse for this week. And just as a reminder, um, if you and you probably heard this like a million times already, but the lectionary topic is "Behold the Lamb of God." So I'm gonna just jump into the verse, and then we're gonna talk about it um, after I finish. Um, but I will be reading First Corinthians one one through nine um, out of the NIV. And so here we go. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy together and with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I always thank God for you because of this grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. And so um, just a reminder I was on the podcast a few weeks ago, and um, to me, I got like this really hard psalm that was like really hard to get encouragement out of. Figured it out by the end, but um, it was it was like really difficult. But this one was a little easier, uh, so I hope, um, yeah, I hope you feel the same way. So kind of jumping into this, as I was kind of looking through commentaries, I happened on this one um, written by Mike Willis, and um, it kind of gives you context of where the Church of Corinth was at the time um, that he wrote this letter, that Paul wrote this letter. And so I'm going to read that now. Uh, Mike Willis says, these verses are from the opening words of Paul in his letter to the church at Corinth. Can you imagine hearing this read? You are a member of a church torn apart by division, destroyed by immaturity, confused by questions and questionable behavior, even with some who deny the resurrection of Christ. And you hear these words written by Paul saying, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ. Now, Okay. Any of you uh, listening ever been in a church that was torn apart by division or destroyed by immature leadership or just immature Christians in the body, right? Or confused by the questions and people being questionable. I think we all if we're not going to say we've been a part of a church like that, we know friends who are a part of that. And so you kind of can understand one, why Paul is writing to the Church of Corinth, and you also know where they're at. And um, so it, I'm so happy that God gave Paul this opportunity to write to the Church of Corinth and that this letter has been placed in the Bible because we all know or have been involved in a church in crisis like this. Right. We all can relate in some way. And so because we can relate, I think it's a better encouragement because if you're currently in a situation like that, Paul, right, Paul is saying, I thank my God always concerning you, you, the listener right now today for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus. And he even goes on to say, and verse five, for in him you have been enriched, you the listener right now, have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. And so Paul is saying, God is saying through Paul to you that he's thankful for you and that as a reminder, we have been so enriched by the presence of God in our lives and that we got the Holy Spirit 
when he came down in Acts, right? We're so, so, we have been so enriched in our lives because of who God is. And um, that was just one of the most encouraging things to hear because, you know, as you go through seasons of life where you might be in a church that is like the church of Corinth and you need that encouragement, that boost of um, hopeful, hopeful, you know, you need that hopefulness to just overwhelm you because it just doesn't seem like it's going to get better. But Paul is saying it will get better. And I'm thankful that you're there. I happened upon another commentary about this portion of scripture. It was written by Keith Simons. And this is what he said. He said, God had made them able to speak for him. God had given them the knowledge that they needed. God had given them his Holy Spirit, and they were evidence of that fact in their lives. God had begun to do his work in their lives. And Paul was confident that he could trust God to complete that work. God had given them a real relationship with Christ. It was true that they were not perfect, but in this world, Christians are not perfect. They are waiting for Christ's return. And when Christ returns, God will change them completely. So on that day, all God's people will be perfect. That's such an encouragement to us because it takes away that perfectionism that we all have, right? We all want to be the perfect Christian. We all want to come to church in our nice church clothes with our hair done right. We want to look the part. We want to have our Bible all weathered and torn or at least seem like we've actually read it, you know, <laughs> during the week or that we actually have a prayer life. But in some cases, it's just an act. But Paul is giving us this picture of you don't have to be perfect to be a Christian. You just have to strive to be like Christ. And so um, one of the biggest things that I got encouraged so much from this verse was um, that I don't have to be a perfect Christian to be a Christian. I just have to be Christ-like and I have to strive to be obedient to his will in my life. And even in the chaos of church and church people, as long as I'm in community with my brothers and sisters, trying my best to be like Christ, then I'm on the right path. And just to kind of wrap up, one of the um, the verses, the two verses that I absolutely loved, um, just kind of hit right at the very end of this um, part of scripture. So I'm just going to reread that. Um, the verses are verses eight and nine. Verse eight says, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you and to fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord is faithful. That's so encouraging because it says two things. It says, one, that God is strong for us to the end. He will bring us to the end of our journey. He will bring us to the end of a hard season. He will bring us to the end of a bad relationship. He will bring us into a good situation. It doesn't matter. He has the strength to get us to where we need to go next. And the second thing is that he is faithful to do that. He is faithful and just to make sure that we reach the end of our journey. Whether it be ups and downs, God is going to get us where we need to be. 
And so I just hope that you have a phenomenal week. As you continue to listen and grow in your faith, I hope you continue to be encouraged. I hope God continues to show himself and your walk in your life. I pray that you continue to just um, be that Christ-like person in somebody's um, in somebody's life today, that you would um, be the Holy Spirit for them. I pray so much for all of our listeners, and I hope that you have a wonderful week. All right. What a great word of encouragement. You can tell why I believe that Sydney is such a great woman of God. So encouraging. I really want to thank her for continuing to be a contributor on the podcast. All right. Well, let's get ready for another great man of God. I really like Pastor Bernard Emerson and Tapestry Church in Oakland, California. He does such great work and is a mentor for many people. And I really appreciate him spending the time and investment into the CTV movement and this Urban Shepherds podcast. All right. Let's get ready for his study on the gospel text, John chapter one verses 29 through 42. Today, I'll be speaking from the lectionary topic, Behold the Lamb of God. That comes from John, the first chapter, verses 29 through 42. Let me read it. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you will see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following him and he asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was till about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was the one who had heard John when he said who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. I'm just going to get right into this. John sees Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, John says this two days in a row. 
I, I mean, two days back to back. And, and some might ask, why did John refer to Jesus as the Lamb of God? Well, the people of Israel were familiar with lambs for the sacrifices. So, so John was using speech that they can relate to. At Passover, each family had to have a lamb. And during the year, uh, two lambs a day were sacrificed at the temple altar. And plus, all the other lambs were brought for personal sacrifices. I think Warren Worsby said it best. Those lambs were bought by men to men. But here is God's lamb given by God to men. Those lambs could not take away sin, but the lamb of God can take away sin. Those lambs were for Israel alone, but this lamb will shed his blood for the whole entire world. Then John says two times, I myself did not know him. Maybe John wasn't sure that Jesus was the lamb of God. You know, maybe maybe he was feeling kind of funny about it. But the father made it clear when he sent the Holy Spirit like a dove to light on him. Then John says, I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one. Well, the very next day, John is out preaching and Jesus is out recruiting disciples. And John sees Jesus passing by and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And when John's disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, the two that followed Jesus just happened to be Andrew and John. And Jesus seen them following him and he asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? And then he says to them, come and you'll see. And the Bible says they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the whole day with him. I mean, from about 10 o'clock in the morning to four o'clock in the afternoon. They were so moved that they found their brothers and brought them to Jesus. Andrew bought Simon and John brought James. We have found the Messiah. That's what Andrew said to Simon. And today, we still point to the Lamb of God. He is still saving sinners, and wise men still follow him. You know, everybody experiences Jesus differently. God uses different ways to bring sinners to Christ. But the important thing is that we trust Christ enough to bring others to him. Thank you again for joining us for the Urban Shepherds podcast. I hope this has been an encouragement to you as you study the word of God through the lectionary text or just as you just are advancing the kingdom in the city. We want to hear your voices. Please follow us, subscribe and uh, like, maybe review the podcast and share it with your friends and family. Share it with those believers who are seeking to advance the kingdom in the city. 
again, just thank you so much, all the new podcast listeners and all of our uh, returning podcast listeners. We would not be able to do it without you. If you'd like more information about the Christ Victor Church Plant Movement, you can find us at our website at ctvchurch.org. You can find out more information not only about us, but about the CTV churches and how you can become a part of this urban movement. We just thank you so much, and I want you to be blessed in the city.